Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Stephen G. Eisenberg. He's an author of a book called Love is the Strongest Medicine. Uh, he has a oncology practice where obviously the main enemy is cancer. But I think he's got some innovative and unusual ways of looking at it and uh, working with patients. So, Dr. Steve, thanks for coming. Thanks, Richard, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Well, tell me, what got you into oncology? How long have you been doing it? I've been like, feels like it's, I think it's about 25 years now. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, I went into oncology mainly because I was fascinated by the human side of cancer. And what do I mean by that? You know, when we're diagnosed with cancer, when we hear that word, when we hear those three words, you have cancer, life changes instantaneously. It's like whatever you were doing that day, whatever you were planning, whatever you were hoping for, whatever, like John Lennon said, your best laid plans what did he say? Life is life is waiting to happen while your best laid plans go astray, or something like that. It's it's your life is your life. Life is what happen. Life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. That's what it is. And this is crazy because when you're given this diagnosis, your life that you were planning changes. It and in, in, in a second, you're thrust into this world of tests and biopsies and and treatment options. And no one's really equipped to do this unless, you know, you have an oncologist in the family or your best friend's a cancer researcher. You're just thrown into this world of uncertainty and fear. And my job is to try and take that uncertainty and fear and make it a little bit easier on you. Each time we interact, each time we're together, try to alleviate some of that uncertainty, some of that fear, but it's so much falls on the patient. And so I think as oncologists, our job is to give first rate medical care, but to do it from the heart. 
with empathy, with compassion, to treat the patient like that patient is your aunt or your uncle, your sister, your cousin. That, I think, is the first step to transforming the doctor-patient relationship. And that's been my goal over the last 20 years, to try and reinvent it. Because I, the way I see it, it, in many, many cases, it's severely broken, Richard. What kinds of things do you do that uh, help foster this relationship? Well, the first thing is when patients come in, it's to... It's to what, do you, what kinds of things yeah. do you do to help foster this caring relationship? The first thing I do is something I don't do. I don't bring a darn computer into the room. And that is a huge thing because right now, doctors and uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants are drowning, drowning in the red tape of electronic medical records. Don't get me wrong. You got to have good records. But don't bring in the computer and stare at a screen. Look at the patient in the eye. Have a scribe with you. What's a scribe? The scribe is writing down, typing everything that you're saying and, and, and how the interaction's going. When I'm listening to the patient's heart, I'm saying, hey, heart sounds good. No murmur. Normal S1, normal S2. You're, I'm, I'm speaking what I'm experiencing, and the scribe is recording it. Then I can look at the patient in their eyes Instead of staring at a screen and then looking up at them <laughs> once every 30 seconds because I need to obligatory do an obligatory glance over at you. That's the first mistake, Richard. You cannot forget the importance of eye contact. Second, and a thing that's been missing because we've had the pandemic and we've had so much telemedicine, is a simple put your hand on the patient's shoulder. How you doing? Good to see you. Just a simple touch a hand on the shoulder is transformative. When you when 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 we go and we do the physical exam, it can be it it can be it can be compassionate or it could be very sterile, you know, just boom, listen here, listen here. Or you could have a hand on the shoulder and say, Good job, good job, give me a deep breath. It's the simple things, Richard, that we're forgetting as doctors that make all the difference. And in oncology, we've got the best technologies. We've got immunotherapy. We've got CAR-T therapy. We've got biologics. We're testing tumors, molecular genomics, and we're getting so much better at treating. But I think the, the better and better we get with the molecular technology, I think the further and further we're getting from the human being sitting right in front of us. And that's a shame. That's a shame. So love is the strongest medicine is the name of the book, because you got to remember why you went into this profession. Why did you love becoming a doctor? Why do you love helping that person sitting across from you in that exam room? It's about empathy, compassion, and bringing that to the, the, to the human being that's suffering in front of you. Because guess what? If you don't, you as the doctor are going to start to suffer. And I'm not saying this like as some sort of you know new thing. Doctors are burning out, Richard, at crazy crazy horrific rates well, one in every they're, burn, they're, they're burning out what's happening to them one out of every two doctors is experiencing severe symptoms of burnout they have lack of empathy they're they they are just going through the motions barely making it through the day they hate coming into work they're not sleeping they're going to alcohol and drugs to cope with the stress of being a doctor that's one out of every two primary care frontline physicians 
that's family practice, that's internal medicine, that's ER, that's OBGYN. That is the front line and we're burning out. And the suicide rate for doctors is 1.6, the national average. It's higher than the national average and female doctors higher than male doctors because I they have added pressure. Not only are they not only are they have to be great doctors, they have to be great mothers, great homemakers. It's 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 crazy what's happening out there. And the pandemic brought it even more to light. Even more doctors were burning out at crazy rates. Look what happened in New York City. Doctors unfortunately killing themselves in the height of the pandemic because of the stress and the pressure. This is nuts, Richard. And so what I'm saying is you can learn to love your profession again as a physician. Where does it start? It starts in that room, in the exam room with the patient. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to share your true self, your highest self with that human being that's suffering in front of you. And guess what happens when you do that, Richard? Instead of burning out, you refuel your compassion stores. When you, when you can break down the wall, between doctor and patient, I'm the big bad doctor and you're the little old patient who has to listen to me. That's the old way. The new way is we're going to be a powerful partnership. We're going to have our energy feed off one another. We're going to work together to get you as healthy as you can be. And I'm going to be your partner in this. You're the team owner. I'm your quarterback. You own the team. I'm your quarterback who's going to give you every option under the sun. I might hand off the ball. I might have to hand off the ball to an acupuncturist. I might have to hand off the ball to a nutritionist. I'm going to get the ball back and run the next play. But guess who I ultimately answer to? You. You own the team. So we got to work together with our fellow colleagues as well. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. And it's all about communication. It's all about picking up the phone, getting on a Zoom together, whatever it is. Connection at all costs. That's the name of the game when it comes to making okay. a difference. Well, why, what's, what's the current mindset of most doctors that you've experienced that haven't run across your methods? Get them in, get them out, you know, just completely, you know, burned out from the paperwork, just, you know, feeling as though not experiencing joy in, in practice, just sort of survival mode, going through the motions, this sort of sucks mentality. And I know that firsthand because I experienced it. And I had to go through my own journey of discovering all this when I myself was completely burned out as a very young oncologist in practice. We can get into that story if you want. Do physicians start out this way or does the system beat them down? Like what does it to them to get them? Or is it just that so many of their patients die and they just have to shoot, wall themselves off from the pain? Good question. 
every doctor starts out wanting to make a difference. You don't go into medicine without having that empathy in your heart, without having that love in your heart. It gets beaten out of you. The long hours, the stress, the trying to make it, the trying to win, to be build the best practice, to outperform your competition, to win at all costs, to be the best. Those things are, those things, look, that's real life. That's real life. I mean, competition and, 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 you know, having a successful practice, not going out of business, for example, if you're in private practice, right? If your practice is being bought up by a hospital, that's stressful. All the things that have to go in, answering to administration, all of these things can suck the joy and the life out of you as a doctor. And it's happening, happening at crazy alarming rates. You Google just Google doctor burnout, you get a million hits. It's, it's really, it's really alarming. And I have a way of preventing it and curing it. And it's completely doing the opposite of what you think you should do as a physician and as the patient. Because guess what? You think patients love coming to a doctor that's burned out, that is just going through the motions? No, they get bad Yelp reviews because they're not engaged. No, Physician, no, yeah. I've, I've had hey. doctors that uh, I could just tell they, they couldn't care less. So I don't want to go back to them. And I'm certainly not going to listen to what they tell me to do because if someone doesn't care about me, why would I listen to the advice they give me? I love that. I love what you just said because it works both ways. It's called patient engagement and physician enrollment. You have to, if you don't enroll the patient in the possibility of them getting healthier, of your, of your sagely advice helping them, it's exactly what you just said, Richard, that I'm not going to listen to this guy. I'm just going to Google something and, you know, go to a, go, go to someone else or, okay, they said what they said, but I'm going to go and just do what I want to do or not listen to them. And I found that if you're not open-minded, if you're not listening with your heart and looking in the eyes of your patient, that's the first step to getting it wrong. And they're not going to respond to you. The patient won't be engaged. The physician is not going to make the difference that he or she wants to make. And believe me, we were, I was saying this, they all, everybody, me included, we want to make a difference. We, that's why we go into it. We don't go into it for the money. Because that that that's that ship has sailed, Richard. This is not being a doctor is not. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. What it's all cracked up to be in terms of like, oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make tons of money. That's not the that is not it anymore. It really has to be from the heart because the the amount of suffering, the amount of all of the stuff you go through to then be able to say. You're my patient and I'm here for you and you're in my practice. That's like a decade of, I mean, just speaking from my experience, that was one decade of my life from 92 to 2002. That was it, a decade. And now I'm minted, you know, ka-ching, I'm an oncologist. From the first day of med school to the last day of oncology fellowship, one decade. And that's a crazy thought, like a 10 years, just boom. And now you're an oncologist. And what happened to me was I trained at Georgetown at, you know, very academic center. All the fellowships are at major academic centers. And then I joined, a, a you know, a really good practice, but I joined a private practice in Southern California. And little did I know what I was getting into. 
There's no course. <laughs> there's no there's no rotation in your fellowship. Here's how to make it in private practice. First, outperform all your co- all your competition. Work harder and longer and faster and better than everyone else. Show the entire hospital staff that only you should get all the patients. Be number one at all costs. Don't sleep. Don't take care of yourself. Just be the hardest, craziest worker you can be. And then you'll have success. No, man, that that's that nearly killed me because I came out of fellowship wanting to make this difference, wanting to bring joy. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring a smile to an oncology, to, to a practice, to a cancer patient. How, how the heck was I going to do that? Well, I said, well, if I could make someone smile, if I could make them feel a little bit better, even 1% better than they did before they walked in that office that day, if I could use my tools of communication and creativity to make them feel a little bit better than they did the day before, before they walked in that day even, well, then I made a difference. Then I, then I actually did what I said I wanted to do when I did that med school interview. And they ask everybody, why would you, why, Stephen, do you want to be a doctor? What do you think the canned answer is that we all say, Richard? They want to help people. Right? Yeah, we want to help people. Everybody says it. And then look what happens when they get out into the real world. And again, I'm speaking, just, I'm just telling my story. But if you, if you look up the research, it's, it's crazy how many doctors, one out of every two, burnout, losing the joy, losing the fervor for practice, losing the, like you said, you experienced it firsthand as a patient. What was it like for you, Richard, to be on the other end of that? You went into it a little bit, but I want to hear more. How did you walk in that office? How did it feel as it was going on? And then how did you feel when you left that office? Yeah, I mean, I had uh, thyroid cancer and, you know, my doctor mm-hmm. at the time, like, just didn't care. And they actually told me the wrong things to do when I was supposed to get some, uh, you know, radioactive iodine. And it really pissed me off. And they had no answers to a lot of my questions. And uh, I had to research myself. And when they told me to do the wrong thing, that would have really, you know, caused me a problem. I was like, then I was, I was just really pissed. I was really angry. And I went in there and they just don't care. They could care less. So I just stopped going to that doctor. I go to other wow. ones now, you know, because they just don't care. And then I've, I've, me... I've walked out and thrown prescriptions right in the garbage. Oh yeah, yeah. Sounds you did. Crazy. You threw you threw them. You threw them out in the garbage. Yep, plenty of times. Yeah, yeah because if they don't care, then I don't believe in what they're saying. They're not going to help me. They could care less. That is that is unbelievably important for everyone who's listening to hear because it's so true. It is so true, and it's overlooked. We we just want to prescribe the right thing. We want to get it right. We want to be the best we can be. But if you're not doing it from a caring, loving perspective, that's why it's called love is the strongest medicine. It's about loving what you're doing, loving that human being. We're both, we're just two souls together going through a human experience in a room together. It's not one, one person's more important than the other. We're two souls going through a human experience, one happens to have thyroid cancer and one doesn't and, or, or hopefully, you know, doesn't and is, is trying to help that person. And so tell me what the, what the experience was when you went to the other physician who you did feel 
a more uh, a connection with what was how did you see the different how did you experience that difference can you share that with me well, yeah no, no. the second one actually listened like you know we were by this point i was done with my surgery and all that and we were talking about you know synthroid versus armor versus whatever mm-hmm, and the first mm-hmm. one is like oh no only only synthroid those other ones are no good and they're not made well and they're not consistent and you know, and I could tell as I was asking the first one questions, they were threatened by what I was asking. I could tell, I could see it. And then the second one was like, no, they talked about all the options and here's what I've seen. And, you know, so it was a lot better. I was like, okay, I'll try this then. I'll try the, you know, I'll try armor instead of Synthroid only, or I'll stick with Synthroid. But at least it was like a dialogue instead of, you know, you questioning me. That's uh-huh. what I got from the first Right. One. Are you questioning me? Are you questioning yeah. my authority? Uh-huh. We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. It's my way or the highway or I'll fire you. We, that, that's, that's a popular thing. No, I, I say that, you know, look, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And I think the first thing is get a, always get a second opinion and feel like you're, you're getting the information you need, but also that you're getting the compassion that you need. Because, you know, <laughs> there's, a new, there's studies that are showing now, Richard, there's this awesome book. That's, that goes along with love is the strongest medicine. This book's called Compassionomics. And it's, it's interesting because I picked it up and started reading it. It goes over all the studies that have to do with compassion over the last, I mean, decades of research. And it's showing in the modern day, we're now finally catching up that two treatments, exact same treatments in two different people, if one is delivered with compassion and the other is not, the treatment delivered with compassion, that patient does better. That patient actually does better because guess what? They're now their, their mind and their body, the mind-body connection is now an ally. It's helping. Now we have the trifecta. We've got good medicine, good mind, good body, the mind and the body working together to be a very good ally as we're going through our care. And I don't think that's, there's no other field that that's more important than oncology. Cause you know, when you hear that word, when you hear those words, you have cancer, it, you're so scared, you shut down. Sometimes people don't hear a word after that, after you have cancer, boom, shut down. And that the person next to them is taking notes, thank God, because they don't hear another word out of your mouth. They just see your lips flapping and they don't hear what you're saying because it's post you're almost in an instantaneous post-traumatic stress situation you're shut down you're in fight or flight holy shit this person just told me i'm i'm basically gonna die that's not always the case but that's what's heard many times after the c word cancer you're so scared that you don't hear a word and so i'm here to tell you that no you're not always going to die we can cure you in many, many cases, especially if we catch it early. But there's, but also, there's hope. You've got to, you've got to bring hope into the room where there may have been none when you walked in. You probably had hope when you walked into that first doctor. Thinking, Maybe I could cure this thyroid cancer with a little surgery and then radioactive iodine. I can do really well. But maybe. You left with less hope than you had when you first walked in. I, I think our job as oncologists is to keep the hope alive, to build upon the hope and never take hope away. Because even if you can't be cured, you can have a better quality of life than you did before meeting me. And you can even, and this is hard to hear for a lot of people, so I'm going to preface it. This is coming from love. You can 
You can die with dignity. You can die without your music still inside of you. You can die fully expressed, surrounded by love, and on your own terms. And that's hard to hear because we don't want to think about what's the end going to be like. But in, guess what? In oncology, I'm faced with that reality every single day, many times a day. And so what does that do? It teaches me. My patients teach me, Richard, every day about the preciousness of, the, of life, of every moment we have together. And if I've just told you, you're going to have a lot less family dinners than you thought you might were going to have, you know, that you were going to have every moment together, let's make it a good interaction. Because if you're going to spend a lot of the time you got left with me, I don't want you to hate it. I don't want you to hate me. I want us to have a good interaction. And guess what? You can teach me, the, the, the patient can teach me, the oncologist, more about being a better human, a better father, a better husband, a better doctor, a better human being than I could ever teach you about getting through chemo or, or beating the cancer. I'm going to give you the best treatment, but we got to do it as a powerful partnership. And you can teach me a lot too, more than I could ever teach you. And that is the key. And then if you do that, your, your stores of empathy, they're going to fill up every interaction you have. It's paradoxical. No one, no one thinks it's possible until you do it. This, your stores of compassion get filled instead of depleted by doing the opposite, not building the wall higher and thicker, by breaking down the damn wall. That's well, how you do it. Do you, do you uh, counsel doctors on this? Do they come to you or you go to them? I or? go around. Well, I, yeah, I am. I'm starting. It, it's not, this is the first time I'm, I'm saying it in public. And I hope doctors that are listening to this will join me. I'm starting a, I guess you could call it a mastermind group for doctors. And it's called doctorswithoutburnout.org is going to be the website. It's not up yet. But we're going to be supporting each other on Zoom calls every month. And we're going to create this groundswell, you know, a revolution in compassion, you could call it, and self-compassion. So doctors can refuel and doctors will not have this horrible, horrible progressive burnout that's happening in the world right now. So keep your eyes and ears open and go to drsteven.com for updates on that. But I'm really excited about that because out of writing this book, Love is the Strongest Medicine, I learned so much about doctor burnout and I go around and give lectures about that as well at, at you know, Exponential Medicine. I gave a nice uh, talk about it and I think you can watch it online from 2019 before the pandemic hit. And then burnout just kept getting worse and worse all throughout 2020. And I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel. There's some light at the end of the tunnel that we're, we're, we're hopefully coming out of this more and more each day. But guess what? There was a lot of delays in cancer diagnosis during the pandemic. There was a lot of delayed treatments, a lot of mistreatments, missed treatments, a lot of missed screenings, women missing their mammograms, people missing their colonoscopies because nobody was, you know, everyone was quarantined. And yeah. so now we've got this rash of cancer diagnoses hitting us at the cr at these crazy rates. And and so you think there's a risk of even more burnout as as all these new cancer diagnoses are coming down the line? Yeah, there's a higher risk because you're going to be more busy, 
more delays, people diagnosed at a higher stage. Maybe it's their, their, their lymph nodes are involved where they might not. We could have maybe caught it earlier. And so this all puts stress on the doctor, on the system, on the patient. So doctors are burning out at these crazy rates. And the way that we can combat it is, is coming together and supporting one another. But truly, truly, not just saying, hey, doc, let's, let's sniff some aromatherapy together and sing Kumbaya. No, it, it goes much deeper than that. Yes, we need to support each other. We need to lift each other up. But how do you really, in the day-to-day practice, find that joy again? Because you, you're, everyone's going to feel great when we're all together and we're holding hands and we're saying burnout is horrible. And yes, let's let's prevent it. Let's cure it. Let's support each other. But then you got to go right back in and see your 20, 30 patients a day. And how are you going to on a day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour basis? Keep it up. And that's where that's where Doctors Without uh, Burnout dot org is is coming in and teaching teaching these techniques to the to the larger population of doctors around the world is going to make the difference and it's getting everyone to start doing the opposite of this old school mentality build a wall no it's like pink floyd the wall you got to tear it down you have to tear it down all in all we're just another brick in the wall no you got to tear it down and then we build each other back up by, by actually being vulnerable and being authentic with your patient. You know, you were, you just got, it's my way or the highway. And that really, you could, you, you got turned off immediately. You saw the, the sort of that intimidation in the, in the doctors or the questioning that you, you were sort of questioning them and they didn't like that. And look, it, this is, this is not easy. Because we don't have a lot of training in this. Don't have a lot of training in patient-doctor communication. Where you get like one class where you have like an, an actor who's acting as a patient. And you're, you're interacting with this actor who's been trained to, you know, act like a patient. Yeah. And maybe it's an angry patient or maybe it's a shy patient. You know, the, what, what I've learned, and, and a lot of doctors will tell you this, the patient tells you what they really want to tell you right before you're about to leave the room. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see you next time. Oh, Doc, I have one last thing. <laughs> that last thing is why they're there. <laughs> it always is. And so you have, to, you have to be open and honest and willing to be vulnerable as a doctor. And, and those things coming together, for me, for me, what changed my life around as a doctor was finally getting the courage up. And this sounds silly, but it's really cha- it, it saved my life as a doctor, okay. was to bring my guitar into the chemo room when, a, when, when about 10 to 15 patients were sitting in their chairs, getting their infusions, bored off their minds, just sitting there for hours, feeling horrible. I brought my guitar into the chemo room and I went around to each patient and I asked them a few questions. Hey, you know, what do you do when you go home when you're not here getting this, you know, f- three hour infusion? Yeah. And I would, and, and, and so Edith said, I've got 10 dogs and five cats. And so I wrote a little impromptu song for Edith about her 15 pets. Mm-hmm. Edith's got 15 pets. Edith's got, she got a lot of vet bills. Edith, you know, like I would ever, whatever it was. And she smiled. And so did, 
did I know it would work? No. Did I feel like almost like a fool bringing in my guitar to the chemo room the first time that I was just annoying people? Yeah, I was scared. What would my colleagues think? I'm bringing a guitar into the chemo room, but it's something I dreamed of doing for forever. And when I finally did it, I felt this wall of stress starting to re- to to dissipate. And I and I felt joyful. I felt like I went home that day and felt like th- those songs I played were almost like the best experiences I've had as a doctor. And that was that was over 10 years ago now, Richard. And it was like and and look, I'm not telling every doctor out there to bring their guitar if they have one into their office. But what I'm saying is sit down next to your patient, ask them what their favorite song is, pull it up on Spotify. It's two minutes, It's two extra minutes. Watch your favorite comedy video. Ask them who's your favorite comedian. Watch two minutes of a bit, laugh together, share together, do something that shows you're, that you're human and that you're both human and you're both working together for a shared goal, a shared vision that we're going to get you feeling better. And I'm not going to be a zombie as I try to get you better. I'm going to be a human being with you. Mm. I'm going to love you as a, as a fellow human being. I got you. Yeah. That's, that's what this book's about. Have you talked to other doctors about this? And do they say like, do they welcome it? Or they say, what are you crazy? Or (laughs) like what, what are the reactions? No, they love it. They love it. They love it because they see themselves in my story. They may not they may not have gone through the exact same burnout I went through. You know, I was having migraines and irritable bowel and muscle pains and lack of sleep, all of that. And it was in a vicious I was in a vicious cycle. And only when I started doing meditation and yoga and bringing the guitar in and all of these things, it started turning it around the other way to a virtuous cycle the creativity the self-expression the vulnerability the honesty it was now i was sleeping better now i was everything was getting better and the thing is um, things never came back the symptoms never came back that's over 10 years ago and those symptoms that i described that's what people who are that's what doctors who are burned out feel all of those what, things. What, what, what do doctors do when they don't feel well? Do they just, is it just like physician heal thyself or is it, do they go to other doctors? They ignore it. They, do? they ignore it on them for the most part because they're a doctor and most doctors don't take care of themselves and don't have their own doctor. They either treat themselves or if they're smart, they get out of their own way and they go see a smart, loving, compassionate, empathetic doctor who cares who gives a crap about them and tells them you're burned out man and and or woman and here's what i see you need to do you need to examine your life and that's what i needed to do and so what they do what what they what they read in the stories in this book is they see their own life and that's why i had to pour it all out i had to share my own really really hard story to share because you know, when I shared the story, part of me feels like I'm sharing this failure. I couldn't, I couldn't just work so crazy hard and, and, and just be fine doing it. I had, I, I got burned out and, and I started feeling really, really horrible. The stress took everything I was experiencing and made it 10, 25 times worse. And so when they read the stories and how I finally turned my practice my my love of medicine my own journey 
at becoming an oncologist and a, the oncologist that I dreamed I'd be, the one that I said, I want to help people. That guy back in Philadelphia, the, the, the young kid doing the med school interview, how did it took me? It took me 20 years to really come to the highest realization of that. And, and remember, it can get sucked out of you so easy. It can get drained out of you. And so to all the young doctors, the med students listening to this, reach out, reach out to people that you love. Don't feel like you got to go through this alone or to prove something. You don't have to be this vision of crazy, the hardest, craziest worker, the perfectionist who doesn't take care of themselves at all. I think some of the you newer know, doctors are the the younger doctors are are incorporating more self care into their routine. But the the guys my the guys and gals my age, we just we were trained just work hard until you die. And I was and then I was getting close to dying myself when I got myself got cancer, a really aggressive skin cancer. My immune oh, really? system was so low. Yeah, this was at the very bottom when I hit rock bottom. When I was having all of those symptoms, the final cherry on top of the Sunday was my own super aggressive skin cancer right over my left chest, over my heart. Is that symbolism or what? It was over yeah, my yeah, heart. It was, my heart was crying out. And so I had a major surgery to get, you know, a super wide excision. And thank you, Nancy Chen, for cutting it out. And, she, and but I'm telling you, man, that was that's when I hit rock bottom. My immune system was so low, my cortisol levels were so high that my own my own immune T cells were low. And the, you know, it's supposed to be my specialty: <laughs> T lymphocytes, and blood, and bone marrow, and immune system. And you know, it was like it, it was a big wake up call. But it took a long time to get there. And when you're sometimes when you're going through it, it's hard to just recognize it and break the break the pattern. I had to break the pattern. And it was a patient that called me out. It was a patient. Oh, really? What called they say? me what out. They Tell me about that. I walked into her room. I walked into her hospital room. 80 year old woman, smoke like a chimney, lung cancer. But God, was she had personality. She had gumption. I walked in. Her name was Flavi. She was in there for pneumonia, complication of the chemo and all this. But she was getting better, getting intravenous antibiotics. I walk in the room. This is at the low point. Good morning, Flavi. Because I could still, I could still, you know, act my way through it and be a zombie and just go through the motions of doing what I needed to do. Good morning, Flavi. How are you? How's everything today? Just very flat. She said, you don't, you know, forget about me for a second. I'm in here. I'm doing the chemo because, you know, my daughters want me to do it. But let me talk about you for a second, because I got to <laughs> tell you, Dr. E, you look like crap. She called me out and I said to her what I said to all the patients back then. No, no, really. I'm fine. I'm fine. And little did I know fine back then meant frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yeah, I was fine, Richard. I was so fine. And she called me out. She said, listen to me, kid. She used to call me kid. She was so great. How are you going to take care of all of us? She looked at me straight in the eyes. If you can't take care of yourself. And that's how she talked. She'd come here. Down the chart. I walked over. 
and she gave me a hug. Come here. And she gave me this hug. And she was a professional dancer in her younger age, in her younger years. And, we, and she said, just relax. And we did this little dance. She asked if I would do a little dance in her hospital room. And in that moment, I'm looking around to see if I'm being filmed on candid camera or something because it was ridiculous. But at the same time, this 80-year-old woman who had six months left to live took it upon her to try and save my life, my soul, if you will. My soul as an oncologist was in need, was screaming out for help. And it was Flavi put her life on hold that day to take a stand for my well-being. And it was in that moment, in that little hug dance, obviously before the pandemic, my stress, I could feel this slight little crack in the, in the stone facade and a little light started to come in. And it was, it was months later that all the symptoms went away, but it was that <laughs> hospital room dance with Flavi after yeah. she called me on my own BS, my own lying to myself that everything started to turn around. And when doctors read about that, they, they start to look at their own lives and they say, you know what? I had a similar experience and they share things with me. It's like now we're being human with each other instead of look what I do. Look how great I am as a doctor. You know what I mean? Now we're human beings talking about our, you know, our vulnerabilities, our imperfections. Benet Brown has a great book, book called The Gifts of Imperfection. And that's true. When we're honest about these imperfections we have, then the truth can find its way to the surface and those vulnerabilities become our biggest strengths in the end. And I'll, I, and I'll stand by that to the day I die, Richard. Well, very good. You know, one, one thing you said, though, is you're like, oh, obviously this was before the pandemic. I mean, we can't let this stuff get in the way of all the things that you're trying to advance. We can't just let it say, oh, oh well. Forget it. Now we can't uh, touch each other. And go no, no. Now, so what, what now, are you doing? Are you given into this pandemic stuff, or are you like, hell no, we still need human connection? No, I say hell no, we still need human connection. Of course, now uh, we're still wearing masks in the office because we've got very immunocompromised patients. But now I'm if if I if I've got both vaccines and my patient has both vaccines. We're starting to do what's called the CHC, the COVID half hug. <laughs> what the hell is that? It's where my head is turned one way. The patient's head is turned the other way. We're still wearing masks and we do this half, this half little pat on the back hug. It's not a full hug, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> and Richard, we're going to get back to full hugs soon. But like that, like like Flavi's dance did that little crack in my stone facade. These little CHCs, COVID half hugs, are starting to crack the the stone facade in this pandemic. And you know, some of the mask mandates in certain states are 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 getting better. And look, we're getting there. There's light at the end of the tunnel. We're getting there. We're still in it. It's not over. But I think there's hope and we and we can put our hand on the shoulder. We can tap the patient on the shoulder and say, I'm here for you. We can give a, a CHC, a COVID half hug. We can get back to true empathy and true compassion. And telemedicine was an eye-opening experience 
I'm still doing it, by the way, with patients who live two hours away, and I'm just telling them that their blood counts are normal. But guess what? You get to see into their lives in a different way. I'm like, Ethel, tell me about that, the, that portrait of the dogs playing poker over your left shoulder. How did you get that? Oh, I won that at a concert. You know, it's like you're, you're getting these stories. I got patients holding up their cats. Oh, this is this is Felix. Say hi to Dr. Eisenberg. And, you know, I mean, is it is it as good as being in person and looking them in their real eyes? No, but we had to make do with what we had. So I'm like, show what what's your favorite book on that bookshelf behind you, Jane? And she's now sharing with me about the latest read she's 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 going through. And so there are ways there are still ways that we had to invent to connect you know, the way that Zoom was helping, you know, grandparents see their grandkids, doctors and patients still had to find ways to get to know each other and bond even through the, the telemedicine. So, you know, now it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid where you still, I still want them to come in, but um, we can save someone some gas and some visits if it's just everything's normal and they can come in every other time and drive a couple hours because, you know, we have some rural patients out here and uh, it's all again, how do you connect? How do you connect? You've got to invent it. It's creative. I call it it's a deliberate creation and you have to write it down. You've got to come up with ideas. You've got to make, make it, make a, you know, come up with a list of things you can do and that, that speak to you that speak to you. How do you want to connect with your doctor? How do you want to connect with your patients? Did you write poetry as a child? Did you, did you, do you do artwork? Do you go fishing? Show your patient your latest pictures from your fishing trip. Be vulnerable. You might share something with a patient that you never even knew about. When I write these songs for patients, I do a half hour, 20 to 30 minute songwriting session. And the lyrics are never about the cancer diagnosis. The lyrics are about what were you like as a kid, Bob? What, what, you know, how did you, what were you like in school, high school? How did you meet your wife? What was it like growing up in your house? What, what were you, you know, how did you get along with your parents? What, what were you like in college? What do you, what, if you drove past a billboard that Bob, that you, Bob, could have anything on this billboard for one year, what would you put on that billboard? And these are like, the, and then and then the song becomes a little anthem for them to rally through the chemo with. It's a little original song we do, and it helps them remember they are not their disease. They're a beautiful, loving human being who's going through the experience of cancer treatment. Does it define every aspect of you as a human? It does not. Is it vitally important that you're going through this? Of course. Is it taking over your day-to-day -day existence in many aspects? Yes. But is it everything? Does it define your entire existence? No. And if, I, if, if a little two-and-a-half-minute song reminds Bob that he's a fisherman who loves his wife and had a successful career as a refrigerator salesman and he loves all of his clients and, he, and he's just passionate about it, then he's got, then he just feels good that day. He feels a little bit less sick. He feels a little bit more like himself and a little bit less like a cancer patient. And that's well, all I'm trying now. to do with this book, man. That's all no, I'm trying no, to do. Right. Well, all right. So we're at the end of the call. Let, can you restate the various resources you mentioned? Start with your book and then. 
Yes, um, your new yes. initiative for doctors, please. You got it. You got it. So the book is Love is the Strongest Medicine. You can get it anywhere books are sold. If you get it at from drsteven.com, D-R, Stephen with a V, dot com, you can also join my private cancer support group called Cancer Fight Club. Cancer Fight Club. I want you all to join that because we're going to support each other through our cancer treatments and just just show a lot of love to each other. And then the last thing that I want people to, to be aware of is doctorswithoutburnout.org. We're starting a nonprofit to help doctors around the world prevent and cure this epidemic of doctor burnout. And Richard, I just want to say thank you so much for ha- having me on Finding Genius, the medical edition. And I really think that every doctor, when they find that empathy again in their hearts that's finding their true genius very good well steve thank you for coming on i really appreciate it and uh, it's nice to hear something different than, uh, than what i hear most of the time so thank you thanks so much for having me richard and god bless and thank you really for being open to these ideas if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.